I thought it might be interesting to get the perspective of someone living in Russia about how this war is going and get the perspective of an American living in Russia. So I'm very, very pleased to be joined by Tim Kirby, who's an American expatriate and a very popular radio host and uh, YouTuber living in Russia. Tim, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Uh, it's my pleasure. You also forgot to mention that I'm one heck of a right tackle for the Moscow Spartans. Uh, everyone should look up the Eastern European Super League of American Football, EESL, on YouTube. So you can watch uh, and find out what the NFL would look like if they had absolutely no money. <laughs> That's on my list of things to ask you about, Tim. Believe me. Right. It's an exhaustive list and getting longer by the second. Uh, so w- where are you right now? What part of Russia are you in? Uh, I am around Moscow as we speak right now. So okay. very, very far away from the conflict. In fact, a lot of people are a little geographically confused. Uh, inside uh, Russia with its, uh, let's call them current borders, uh, nothing of any sort of dangerous nature is happening. All right. So now um, tell us a little bit about your story. I know you're 40 years old. You were born yeah. in Cleveland and uh, you you spent, uh, you spent you spent your formative years in the United States when did you move to Russia? What made you move to Russia? How did you end up there? Well, you know, at about the uh, end of uh, college there, I sort of uh, finished up stuff right. And uh, You went to college uh, in Pittsburgh, I have a Pittsburgh, design degree. Right? Pittsburgh? And uh, somehow, uh, despite the fact I'm a very, very large, hairy man, I actually got a little job uh, doing stuff in the fashion industry, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, I kind of got in the cycle of, uh, you know, make enough money just to make it to the next month. And that's it. And pay off those student loans and uh, sit in that room all day long. No women, no nothing. Just me and that computer. And uh, it kind of got old. Um, I can put it that way. Also, uh, uh, Cleveland uh, was definitely, especially Cleveland of the late 80s, early 90s, was definitely not exactly the um, most wonderful environment to put this sort of uh, John Wayne apple pie nostalgia in my mind. You know what I mean? Uh, so uh, when I got the opportunity to kind of join the U.S. Peace Corps, I did. I uh, served for two years in Kazakhstan, had a great time. Life was a lot more interesting despite living in a very poor country. So I decided to go back to uh, Russia. Uh, just to, to note, all my ancestors are from Eastern Europe. So it's kind of like going back to the motherland. Sure. It's like uh, I'm of Italian descent. be like if I moved to uh, to Naples or something like that. Yeah, and you know, I've actually met a lot of people around Europe who actually have, after a couple generations, uh, gone back. You know, something um, for some people, their ethnicity means nothing, right? Uh, and that's fine. Uh, but for me, it, it kind of does. And so there was always maybe something sort of drawing me back to uh, to find out what things are like had here. You, in, had uh, you to each zone. Had you visited mm-hmm. Russia prior to making the decision to move there? Well, the Peace Corps service in Kazakhstan. Remember, Kazakhstan has been a part of Russia for. Many, 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 many centuries um, and was cut off uh, during the uh, collapse of the Soviet Union, which is uh, one of the major reasons uh, why we have the problems we have in Ukraine today. So uh, Kazakhstan has some similar potentials. But uh, anyways, uh, you know, when I served there for two years uh, as a Peace Corps volunteer, it sort of gave me a little bit of a a parachute uh, in this process to sort of try out for two years what it would be like to live in a country and a country that's not like, I don't know, Sweden, where everyone speaks English and there's a bunch of money and all that stuff. Had you um, did you were you fluent in Russian prior to making the decision to live there? Nah, man. Sink or swim, baby. 
<laughs> but now you are fluent in Russian. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've worked on the radio for a long time. Uh, unfortunately, those who might uh, try to look up uh, anything about me, uh, working on the radio many years ago, the Wall Street Journal wrote a hit piece on me. Uh, it's all lies. It's all quarter truths. Uh, it's all BS. But you're free to read it for uh, comparison. But uh, none of that is true. So I, now uh, that Wall Street yeah. Journal piece was written about nine years ago. How many years have you been living in Russia? That would be since the end of 2006. Oh, so that's like okay. 15 years or something. Sure. Okay. So now yeah. in that Wall Street Journal piece, um, and I, yeah. I appreciate you know you clarifying the inaccuracies there. It, you're sure. they quote you as saying that the American dream is better found in Russia than the United States. Is that a true? Is that an accurate view of how you feel? If we define the American dream. So what was the American dream? All right. So I'm living in a country that's filled with people that think the American dream is big house, big car, as in it is stuff. Okay. It is stuff. So their idea is you go to America, you get stuff, which is one of the reasons why, to be honest, I don't think uh, America should ever let Russian speaking immigrants into the country anymore because they only come to America to suck off the system. Okay. It's just, that's why they're there. Right. So anyways, there's that concept of the American dream. And that's what a lot of not just Russian speaking uh, foreigners, but a lot of foreign people around the world just see this as America is this infinitely, uh, I don't want to say giving or uh, basically you could just take whatever you want from it. Right. But the American dream was really founded on the idea that, uh, hey, you people, especially in Europe. You know, you have all these weird inter-ethnic conflicts, uh, religious wars, especially between Protestants and Catholics are killing all sorts of people for all these generations. Let that go. Come to America. You get a clean slate. We're going to give everyone a fair playing field. And, uh, you know, if you put in the effort, you could have a very nice life here without any of that garbage. The American dream is the opportunity to earn a big house and a car without all sorts of shenanigans or needing your uh needing the luck of having being born uh into some family where your uh grandfather was a general or something you see what i mean so it's an opportunity and the the thing i was saying is that in a lot of ways in america we started to lose those opportunities uh russia has a lot of opportunities right now the problem is russians don't believe they exist i see so So, maybe we're even so what you're saying (laughs) what you were saying if i understand it correctly is the opportunities for upward mobility uh, are greater in Russia and sort of the the embodiment of the American promise is easily is more easily achieved in Russia these days. It's not necessarily about getting a house with a, a white picket fence, one point five children and a dog. Yeah, I was I was talking about the opportunities. Uh, things have clamped down in Russia. So with time. I don't know where the upward mobility really is anywhere in the world. I, um, I think that maybe what I said at the time was a little was uh, more true than it is now. But still, I don't know. There's opportunities here, man. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to do stuff. Um, but some of those come from maybe not positive reasons. Like I always tell uh, – I'll tell you this because I tell every foreign person that wants to like do some kind of business here or start some kind of life here, right? I tell them that you have the advantage – because you are going to be one of the very few people who believes in this country. Uh, you know, if you have no competition, it's easy to win. And that's kind of what it is in Russia. You're going to be surrounded by uh, tons and thousands and thousands of people who sit at home whining, you know, like, oh, everything's so hard. Life is so difficult. Nah, 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 nah. And when everyone is like that around you, if you stand up and do something, it becomes easier. Interesting. You Interesting. Know what I mean? Interesting. Now, I know you're a Russian citizen these Correct. days. 
Uh, do you still have a fondness or even a love of the United States, the country that you were born in? Uh, yeah, that's the difference between me and some. Uh, I would. I don't know what you want to call them. Uh, there, there's a growing term called the Russophiles, as in uh, foreign people who support Russia. Uh, I would say the divide into two camps. There's the one camp that are sort of the America haters, and I will never be an America hater. Uh, for example, I love American football. Uh, Russia actually has a lot fairer gun laws than you'd, you'd be surprised. Okay, uh, but then again, no one in Russia knows what their gun laws are, so maybe that's why uh, they don't even know what they are. Uh, so I like the guns. I like our football. Um, I definitely like our version of English uh, the best. Um, I think that there's a lot of great things about America. And one of the reasons that I'm probably here is because I think uh, uh, the American ideal has unfortunately become very twisted. Uh, and again, um, we've uh, if you look back to uh, how old are you, by the way? Uh, uh, oh, nobody knows. It's the best kept secret. It's a in mystery. New York. OK, yeah. well, I'm 40. So that would make my father turning about 70. So remember when he was growing up, uh, well, what was America? It was John Wayne, uh, d- although he's a fictitious, you know, he's an actor. The real person's real, but his characters are fictitious. Then you get in your uh, I don't know. Uh, Annie Oakley, Daniel Boone, uh, right, the, the, the American myth, right? The uh, yeah, the American myth. And what was that myth? It was that you know people came here, they united together, they uh, manifested their destiny, they took the West, and they uh, a great nation. Okay, cool. What's the what are children being taught today? That all those people, the founding fathers, everyone, they're all evil. <laughs> That if you look at the way the overall liberal sort of um, uh, 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 and I don't just mean liberal as in like not Thomas Jefferson liberal. I mean, modern, like right, way, right. Uh, uh, hating kind of Andrew liberal. Jackson, Teddy Roosevelt and Christopher Columbus liberal. Well, yeah, the, the, that kind. Well, the thing is, uh, there are some things to not like about Andrew Jackson. That's one of the other things is to we can't give into extremes because about every person, there's a bad side. Sure. Trust me. If you look into every historical figure, you'll find a reason to hate. Them. Oh, uh, no uh, question. But, but, but yeah. so how would you um, and, and just so people know where you're coming from as we discuss yeah. geopolitical affairs, how would you characterize your own political ideology? I realize ideology can be a tough thing to describe, especially when we're talking international politics. But if you were to try and peg yourself somewhere on the right-left American political spectrum, how would you characterize yourself? Well, the American political spectrum is a little bit of a problem because uh, both sides of the spectrum are uh, in, inside of what we call liberalism. I just mentioned liberals is in this uh, sort of um, uh, mentality. But liberalism is the uh, system that uh, at the core of it is the idea that the individual is everything, right? Because in the Constitution, we're all guaranteed individual rights. There is no really no group uh, of, of any sort, especially now. Uh, and so uh, the thing is, is that both the right and the left in America are essentially different forms of individualism. One is uh, one that gives the econo- more economic freedom and tries to give less social freedom. The other sort of does uh, the opposite. So do I fit anywhere on that scale? I don't know. Uh, maybe on some level, I guess uh, I'm a lot more Republican than Democrat on some issues. Uh, but when it comes to this concept of let's have a pathetically weak government and allow corporations to do whatever they want. Uh, that's kind of where a lot of times the sure. Republicans lose me. You know yeah. what I mean? So like, are you, did you yeah. retain your American citizenship or have you Correct. renounced? You have. So you're a dual citizen, yeah. American and Russian. Yeah. And did yes. you, did you vote in the 2020 presidential election? 
Uh, I voted for the rend- referendum uh, that was here due to the uh, due to some sort of weird error. I was unable to vote in the presidential election. The, uh, the, I showed up. The, uh, the I Russian, showed up, and they said I wasn't in the registry. The Russian so. presidential election or the American presidential election? Russian. I vote in every um, American uh, presidential election. I've gotten a bit lazy about the midterms. This well, time I'll uh, try to, but who knows if the ballot will actually get here. So, so in the American presidential election in 2020, I'm just curious, who did you vote for? Oh, uh, that would be Trump. You vote for Trump. Okay, I voted for Trump yeah. too. I'm just curious where you know where folks are coming from. Now, uh, in so. in this conversation, there are going to be people because look, when I raise, uh, forget about advocating. When I raise a Russian perspective, just giving voice to it, I am immediately shouted down. I'm deluged with emails, negative tweets, comments on Facebook of folks who say uh, that I'm a traitor or I'm a modern version of. Tokyo Rose, they're going to be people mm-hmm. who say that you, by singing the praises of voluntarily moving to and becoming a citizen of a country that is, you know, in hostilities with the United States, they're going to be people that say that you're a, a traitor. What do you say to those folks who might call you a traitor? Well, they should look at the Supreme Court's definition of of treason, which is that uh, if someone uh, actively fights against the United States in a war, as in as like a soldier, uh, it is if someone tries to take away the constitutional rights of Americans. Uh, And there's a few other more minor definitions. I don't meet any of those. So uh, the definition of traitor, I don't meet that. Now, in a more sort of like spiritual, general sort of sense, the problem is, is, uh, quote, quote mining. Because especially like with that Wall Street Journal article, which I don't feel is true, but a lot of people would, right? So they can look in that and be like, wow, what a jerk, what a scumbag. But we can also sit here and we can talk about all the problems in Russia. You know, the thing is, uh, I don't really get asked to come on any interview shows to talk about all of the internal problems of Russia because there's a lot of them, man. Uh, I tell it like it is. My job is, in my opinion, is to provide analysis of what's going on from a historical context related to uh, U.S.-Russian relations, especially and especially Russia itself or America for Russians, because they seem to have no ability to comprehend. Mm. What, so and, when you, uh, when sometimes you... sometimes those uh, my opinions seem flattering. Sometimes they don't. When you want to get into all the problems in Russia that there are, let's rock and roll well, because so, it's also true. Well, let me ask you, and with people just tuning we're talking with Tim Kirby. He's uh, an American expat uh, radio host living in Russia, also a right tackle for the Moscow Spartans. We'll talk about that in a minute. You, would yeah. you have any uh, reluctance, either on radio or YouTube, in criticizing Vladimir Putin or his government's policies, for instance? Well, considering I've criticized his policies plenty of times, uh, I guess not. No, so now there's this image of Putin that's been crafted in the American media, and there's this image of Russia that's been crafted in the American media that it, there's it, that there's no freedom of speech, and that mm-hmm. you can't be critical of Vladimir Putin without being thrown in jail. I guess you're walking and talking proof that that's not true. Yeah, I would definitely say that there are some other people. However, um, we have to remember that there's this concept called the Overton window. And the Overton window I mentioned a lot in my work, but because it's very relevant. And what's inside the window is essentially what's socially acceptable. Like, what's a very socially acceptable opinion right now? Like, I don't know. We should try to help poor people. That's something. You could have something that's more of an edgy uh, opinion that's sort of on the windowsill or the frame of the window. And then what's outside of the window is what's socially acceptable. And the shape and position of that window kind of move around over time, just like we were talking about. When my uh, father was a young boy, the Overton window in America of uh, political opinions was very different from what it is um, today. 
And so if you want to specifically focus on some people who are way outside the, the Russia's Overton window, like people who advocate for some sort of separatism or overthrow of the government, yeah, they can get in trouble. But if the government didn't do that, uh, how would it survive? Same thing with the United States. If someone right now is sitting around in their basement trying to ally themselves with some sort of, I don't know, ISIS uh, to overthrow some part of Pennsylvania. Guess what? They're in deep trouble. But and you, you, you can, of your, and ninety nine percent of your listeners would support that and say that that is beyond their uh, constitutional rights. But to free just speech. so folks so, understand yeah. how it goes in Russia, you can go yeah. on radio, you can go on television, and say Vladimir Putin's a jerk. I don't agree with his invasion of Ukraine. I don't agree with him doing this or that, and not have to worry about being thrown in jail. Well, well, here's something. Why don't you take a look at, uh, if you can, some political talk shows that actually go on major Russian TV, and they often show um, the way uh, issues from two sides. Sometimes not. Sometimes there is the sort of they get a lot of guests who all agree with each other. That does happen. But there are also oftentimes where they try to find people who actually have the opposite opinion. Now, the question is, are those people the best at articulating that opposite opinion? that's maybe a little bit debatable, but you can definitely hear it. But especially, uh, I would uh, invite all of you to maybe sign up for VK.com. So that's Kontaktia. That's the Russian uh, version of Facebook. And uh, there is plenty of uh, 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 anti-establishment media all over Kontaktia. So I'm looking at people and these people are not winding up dead in ditches. I'll tell you that. I'm looking at uh, we have several monitors right now. and One of them's on MSNBC and it says breaking news. Russian journalists receive threats for reporting on Ukraine invasion. Independent journalists fear for their safety for reporting on Ukraine invasion. Is that a realistic fear? Do you do Russian journalists need to fear for their livelihood uh, for telling uh, the truth about an invasion? Oh, well, let's see. Hold on, let me um, open. Um, well, how about this? Um, although now they've uh, finally gotten in a lot of trouble. If you were to look at like one source, like the Echo of Moscow radio station, uh, for the entire time that I've been in Russia, they only have uh, anti-systemic um, positions. Also, there was a was an is a uh, it's on YouTube. It's called TV Rain. Uh, and uh, they also are very uh, anti-systemic. And uh, yeah, but the problem is Rain uh, was getting a lot of uh, foreign funding without disclosing it. And now they're in trouble. I see. So, I see. Now, uh, what is your yeah. reaction, Tim, to the Russian incursion into Ukraine? What's your view of the situation? Well, when you uh, watch uh, your countrymen be bombed, killed, slaughtered, tortured by Nazis for eight years, and when the prospect of reaching some sort of deal to make it end seems impossible, and when you hear the leader, or the at least official leader of that uh, nation saying he's going to look for nuclear weapons, what else can you do? So it sounds like you agree with the decision to go into Ukraine. Uh, Unfortunately, I have to. Uh, I'm someone where I would definitely always prefer a non-military solution. Uh, but uh, in this particular uh, single instance, it looks like, uh, you know, you every one of us has a sort of Christian duty to turn the other cheek and uh, really try to exhaust all options before violence. But uh, I think this time I, I don't see really any other option left. Now, I obviously you're not a, a spokesman for Putin. I'm not asking you to defend his, nope. his decisions. But sadly um, not. His press secretary has some nice cars, man. <laughs> I can imagine. So um, I totally understand. And I've spoken with people in the Donbass region 
in these two breakaway republics that wanted to be independent and didn't want to be part of Ukraine. And they've described the the regular assaults that they were under from the Ukrainian military. I'm, I could understand why Vladimir Putin and the Russian government might need to protect those breakaway republics. But why did they need to go west? Why did they need to go into Kiev? Why couldn't they, if the goal was just to protect ethnic Russians in the Donbass region, why could they not simply just occupy that territory and leave the rest of Ukraine alone? Uh, because the rest of Ukraine is also very much divided. Uh, I'll put it this way. The Donbass republics are just the sort of regions that were able to successfully stand up uh, during the 2014 crisis. If you look back then, especially, you could probably still find video of it, even though Google tends to uh, try to make this disappear. That would be May the 2nd, 2014, uh, when a lot of pro-Russian activists sort of took over one of the governmental buildings in Odessa. Uh, the neo-Nazis there closed the doors and burned uh, the building from the inside, uh, killing all of them. So, you know, a lot of people uh, within especially Kharkov, or as it's written now, Kharkiv, or however they pronounce it, uh, and Odessa wanted to do the same thing. They were just all killed off. So uh, that's part of it, that the real actual uh, sort of ethnic line between the Russian speakers and the Ukrainian speakers is actually vastly bigger uh, than those two ethnic republics. I see. And the fear is that, of course, if the they were to just simply boot out um, the, uh, the uh, private battalions, especially from the uh, Donbass region, that they would just start inflicting horrors on other reasons or that the situation would ultimately not change. Uh, I think what's actually happening here is is ultimately what would be desirable is a regime change and forcing whatever's left of Ukraine uh, to be a disarmed, uh, neutral sort of buffer region. Well, I, I think uh, if Ukraine would have taken that attitude from the get-go, maybe we could have avoided a, a lot of the uh, the death that we're seeing now. But I, I realize that um, this is not a scientific survey, and it's tough to draw any conclusions based on anecdotal evidence. But in terms of the rank-and-file Russians that you interact with, how do yeah. most rank-and-file Russians feel about what's happening now between Russia and Ukraine? Well, of people that I know, I would say that the reaction has been about damn time. Really? You know, that's kind of the way that they see things. Um, but, uh, yeah, there are definitely people who are part of the, um, the uh, team shame, where they uh, have fun feeling ashamed in front of the West uh, that uh, this is happening. So, yeah, there, there are some people like that. I would say a lot of people that I've worked with in the past tend to be more sort of uh, – uh, on that side of the political aisle. So I definitely know people uh, personally who are against it. But I would say the overwhelming majority are for it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's probably why Putin's popularity rating has surged above uh, 70% for the first time in a long time. Wow. Uh, now, what is inaccurate from what you're seeing about the picture that Western media is painting of the current conflict and of Russia in general? Number one, by far, that Russians see the people in Ukraine as Russian. Uh, The whole thing about uh, Belarus and Ukraine and Russia is that because even Putin said this in his uh, sort of speech on the eve of the conflict of why this is going to happen. He said that uh, during the uh, 1920s, the uh, Bolsheviks basically wanted to. uh, Well, internationalism was a hot, trendy concept at the time, and they wanted to basically turn the Russian Empire into this group of like countries. So they created a lot of artificial borders. What they did is essentially like saying, 
well, if we want America to look like a group of countries, we'll make the South its own country and we'll make Texas its own country and the West Coast will be its own country, uh, something like by that logic. But that was incredibly stupid logic. And Russians today are very much uh, uh, in the strong belief that Belarus is just white Russia, as the name goes. And Ukraine, uh, which means like the borderlands, is just the borderlands of Russian civilization. And the people there are also Russians who just happen to have an accent. Um, We saw yesterday, after a number of cable systems in the United States, DirecTV in the United States, and a number of telecommunication systems in Canada, started pulling RT and other uh, media outlets that were affiliated with uh, the Russian government. We see that RT America is now permanently shutting down U.S. operations. It's laying off its staff. Any reaction to that, that now American viewers, on television anyway, won't have the option of seeing RT America? Now, I watched several of the shows on RT America. I watched William Shatner's show on there, Jesse Ventura's show, Steve Malsberg. I enjoyed the commentary of people like Lionel, people like Holland Cook. But now that's gone. Uh, what's your What's your reaction to that, if any, well, Tim? Remember, we were talking a little bit earlier about freedom of speech and about uh, journalists and how they're afraid right now. Well, dude... The 45th president of the United States was canceled on social media. We're in a new era, man. Uh, we're in a new era. And uh, RT is just a, actually, a, it's an important but s- smaller part of that. Like, uh, things are very serious right now, ideologically, between the East and the West, between the monopolar and the multipolar world, as we call them. And uh, this is no game. Uh, and, uh, you know, when uh, when I was a, a kid, when you were a kid as well, I mean, to, to think that something in America could be blanket banned just seemed um, utterly impossible. You know what I mean? But now it is possible and it seems to be acceptable because I guess Russia's scary, even though Russia has pretty much exactly the same political system we have in America and uh, just wants to pursue a foreign policy in which it exists as some sort of relevant civilization on the planet. Now, there are going to so be some people. It's, 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 a, it's a small part of something much, much greater uh, that's changing about things. So I just uh, kind of missed that point about what you said about the journalists, where uh, this is actually, to be honest, ironically, we have the Internet, which is great, uh, and there's uh, still opportunities for free speech. But we're really getting clamped down. And uh, unfortunately, free speech right now is really under threat everywhere. There are going to be some people, Tim, that say um, the reason that you're giving voice to a Russian perspective is because you've essentially been bought off, whether as a football player or as a media personality, (laughs) that you're making all sorts of money thanks to your advocacy for Russia. Any truth to that? Well, I don't know uh, if someone could hack into the uh, um, uh, tax service uh, website of the Russian Federation. uh, You'll see that the only real estate that I own are two very dinky houses. Uh, They're very dinky because I was able to buy them. uh, The first one with just with cash uh, and the other one without. And uh, if someone was able to hack that, they would see that neither of them is uh, particularly close to an estate. And that's all I've got. So there you go. And now there are going to be other folks that say, look, um, you know, uh, you're not maybe you're not bribed, but you're brainwashed. You're suffering from some sort of modern Stockholm syndrome. What do you say to those folks that might think that the reason that you feel the way that you do is because you've been brainwashed by years of Russian propaganda? 
Well, brainwashed people are unable to understand the opinions of the other side. Uh, I believe that I should be able to express the views of various different uh, political forms of reasoning uh, that I don't particularly agree with, but I can see where they come from, you know? Um, I can see uh, sort of, uh, let's just take this, Ukrainian Nazis, let's let's take their side hypothetically, right? I can kind of see that they feel that during the Soviet Union, they were repressed, that uh, the sacrifices of their grandparents were turned into some evil, dark fairy tales uh, that were, you know, for Soviet propaganda. I understand that when they got their freedom in 1991, that they may have gone a little overboard and that they wanted to turn their country into something great. And they also had this idea that, you know, uh, Moscow, you know, the, the capital of Russian or the original capital of Russian civilization uh, was in Kiev. And I can also sort of see how the Ukrainian neo-Nazis might have been excited that, oh, well, eventually, uh, you know, we'll be able to shift the capital back Tim, and it will be Ukraine that will control all of Eurasia. Tim, I can sort of understand that, but I, that doesn't mean I agree with it. Uh, Tim, I, I'm sorry. brainwashed cannot. I, I'm out of time yeah. and I hope we can continue oh. this conversation in the future. Sorry. Very quickly, <laughs> in, in 10 seconds, yeah. how do people watch or listen to your show if they want to listen to it? If you want to watch something non-political, it's RTTT, Russia Tips, Tricks, and Travel, where I show you around Russia. If you want something political, it's called Tim Kirby Russia, YouTube, Rumble, Bitchute.